This episode of Arizona Spotlight is supported by Broadway in Tucson. For Arizona Public Media, I'm Mark McLemore, and this is Arizona Spotlight. Coming up. Take a closer look at some critical transportation issues in Tucson. Learn about a select group of local horticulturists and their passion for the beauty and mystery of orchids. And find out why the new True Concord Voices and Orchestra premiere required assistance from a friend on the final frontier, Star Trek actor John Delancey. Those stories are next on Arizona Spotlight. During the first year of the COVID-19 pandemic, the Tucson mayor and council made the decision to waive fares on public transportation, including buses and the streetcar. Recently, the council voted to extend these free rides through the end of calendar year 2022. In his role as president of the Associated Students of the University of Arizona, Patrick Robles would like to see it become permanent policy for the city of Tucson. We'll learn more next in this interview hosted by Leah Britton. Well, my name is uh, Patrick Robles. I am the student body president here at the University of Arizona uh, for the 2022-2023 school year. I'm a senior studying public management and policy with a minor in pre-law. I'm a third-generation Tucsonan, a product of local public schools. I went through the Sunnyside Unified School District, and uh, this is our community, and I want to work to make our community a better place. Patrick, what drew you to student government here at the university? My career in public service starts when I'm 16 years old. Um, I began interning for my county supervisor. This was a relationship that began when I was in eighth grade. I called him up because we had an issue in our neighborhood. Since then, I had that taste of stepping up to the plate to want to see the change that we want to see, right? So it's, it's up to we the people. And so if you would have asked me, you know, fast forward now, freshman year, if this is what I'd be doing, me and you would be talking at this point in time. I would thought you're crazy. I had no interest. I thought our student government was out of touch with folks. The student government didn't represent the population that came to the U of A. Nevertheless, COVID happens, and I'm asked to sit on the appropriations committee for the student government. We decide club funding for different groups across campus. There I got my taste as to how ASUA, our student government, operates and what we could be doing differently. So lo and behold, the stars aligned. I was almost going to go for a VP, but then folks said, go bigger, go home, Patrick. And I ran for student body president with the intention to amplify our student government, diversify our student government, fight for expanding mental health care for students, uh, making a student government more represented of our student population, and just a student government that's going to care and fight for the issues that matter to students. And one of those issues right now being the Sunlink and free public transit. Can you explain the situation regarding the Sunlink? And what is student government doing for the cause? Sure. Public transportation here in Tucson has been free since March of 2020. This was a result of some of the negative economic impact that people all across the board were feeling as a result of the pandemic. And so since then, public transit has been free. It's free right now. 
And we learned recently that if the city council doesn't make a decision by January 2023 as to whether they want to extend free fare transit for the Tucson community, then fares would go back into place. Everyone everywhere will then have to start paying for SunTran buses, SunLink, Sun Shuttle, SunVan, what have you. It's in our opinion that fares for public transit are a regressive tax on those who need it the most. Students being one of those populations. And the student government has been working with members of the city council, key administrators on campus, business leaders within the SunLink route. We're talking 4th Ave, downtown Tucson, uh, Main Gate Square. We've been meeting with all of these important stakeholders to essentially communicate what students are wanting in terms of a free transit and how we can get to the decision-making table so that we can make sure that free transit is possible for students after January 2023. So those conversations have been crucial and interesting, and we're almost to the finish line, I would say. Why is keeping public transportation free important to you personally? I've been riding since freshman year. I knew what it was like to pay before the pandemic happened, and now I know what it's like to ride for free. I chose to ride public transportation because I couldn't afford a parking pass, a seven dollars to $800 parking pass on campus. It was cheaper for me to park downtown and take the SunLink to school. When you talk to many folks in student body, they will echo these similar sentiments. I've been benefiting from the SunLink because it, it means I've got more money in my pocket. I mean, that was the whole reason why fares were free in the first place was because people were struggling. People are still struggling. It's a safe mode of transportation. If I'm here for those late nights, especially now in my new role, I don't necessarily feel comfortable walking down the street by myself at night when I know I could catch a SunLink on 2nd Street and take it to my car downtown. It gives me more access to the greater Tucson community. If I need to run an errand down 4th, go to University Boulevard, meet a friend for coffee, or go downtown and meet my mom for dinner, I could catch the SunLink and benefit and experience the greater Tucson community. And I know many, many students are doing the same with those three pillars. Can you talk a little bit about the hashtag Why I Ride campaign and what student government hopes to achieve through it? So hashtag Why I Ride. This is a campaign that the University of Arizona Student Government ASUA is launching. The purpose of this campaign is to amplify the student voice and the student appreciation for free public transit. So if you follow us on Instagram at ASUA Today, you will begin to see these videos of us doing interviews on the street, asking people why they choose to ride public transportation and why free fares matter to them. So it's about amplifying that public pressure, informing the public mm -hmm. and our local government leaders and university leaders that students use public transit and here's why. When you watch these videos, you'll hear an array of reasons. Students talking about them being from out of state and tuition already skyrocketing every year, you know. Of course. You'll hear from, you know, young folks who feel safer and young folks who just want to see the greater Tucson community, just like those pillars I mentioned. And uh, the hashtag why ride is going to be a crucial part to our campaign to keep public transit free here in Tucson. What kind of response have you gotten from the city of Tucson? There's a common theme when I meet with key folks from the city of Tucson. They see the benefit of free public transit. So it's a matter of, okay, if, if we're going to keep public transit free, where can we strike a deal with folks? These conversations are like happening as we speak, right? But I would say folks are very receptive. 
Leah Britton talked with Patrick Robles, president of the Associated Students of the University of Arizona. There are links for more information on the Arizona Spotlight page at azpm.org. Our state is known for its many unique plant species, including cacti and agaves. But patient growers can cultivate a wide variety of additional plants at home. For the past 50 years, the Tucson Orchid Society has been helping experts and amateurs alike share their appreciation for these amazing flowers that can be found on every continent except Antarctica. To learn more about the Society, here's Tony Paniagua with Bob Johnson, a longtime member of the group. Bob Johnson, thank you very much for joining us. My pleasure. When did you discover the Tucson Orchid Society? Interestingly, I I had been a registered nurse. I had stopped uh, nursing, and my wife and I had started a vineyard out in the Chiricahua Mountains, Colibri Vineyard. And the gentleman who became my accountant, his name's Wes Addison, and I would go into his office, and there would be a copy of Orchids magazine laying there, and these Phalaenopsis orchids in the corner, growing away beautifully. And back in the 1970s, when I was a nursing student, I had started growing orchids um, out of an interest as a child. And so when I saw the orchids in Wes's office, I was like, what's up with the orchids? And he goes, oh, he goes, I'm a member of the Tucson Orchid Society. I got a greenhouse, and you should come see. And that was that. So I was in. You said your grandmother played a role in your interest in orchids? My proper English grandmother, Frances Amelia, yeah, played a big role. She used to wear corsage uh, orchids uh, for special occasion, and I was fascinated with them. And so she would give them to me uh, when she was done wearing them, and I remembered dissecting. I had to beg for a razor blade from my father so I could cut one perfectly in half and open it up and kind of look at it. And uh, I'd always... In- into plants, but I was fascinated with these. Orchids are an amazing uh, you know, flowering plant. They are one of the most uh, widespread uh, plant species, uh, flowering plant species on the planet. There are over 25,000 species across 900 genera. Um, they inhabit uh, every possible ecosystem you can imagine from uh, temperate forests to sandy beaches to tropical jungles to the sky islands here in Arizona, the mountains up in the sky islands. Uh, yeah, they, for me, they just, they've given me great joy. Um, uh, I like growing things and you have to be a little patient with orchids, but the reward is great. The flowers are, are stunning. Um, you know, the, the fragrances, the colors, you know, are unmatched across other flowering species. And how many orchids do you have? I've lost count. Uh, it's one of those things that can easily become an obsession. Um, and, uh, yeah, I've really lost count now. We spoke to Mark Dimmitt, who is an avid orchid grower, among other plants here in southern Arizona, and that's what he says. It's an obsession. It's a passion. It can become, it can become, it certainly, uh, you know, it requires uh, a degree of devotion because uh, they, and particularly here, because they're not easy to grow here. If you're living in uh, the tropics, you know, or South Florida, 
it's easy to grow a bunch of them, but here it's a challenge. And so, you know, um, but, but like I said, the reward is great. And, uh, you know, they, they are, they're, they're stunning plants. And of course, you have been very active in the Tucson Orchid Society. Can you tell us about that organization? Yeah, Tucson Orchid Society, we're, we're a, a group of individuals, like-minded individuals interested in growing orchids. The, the society started as a small group of folks meeting uh, together to talk about growing orchids here in the desert in 1972. So we're 50 years into it as, a, as an organization, community organization, which we should be proud of. Um, and we formally organized in 1979. And like I said, I came to it when I met Wes. Um, it's uh, uh, an organization geared towards bringing uh, new members in, people who don't have any experience growing orchids or just bought their first orchid at Trader Joe's or something, all the way up to uh, amazing skilled horticulturalists like Wes and Mark Dimmitt and you know people who are basically recognized as breeders and growers around the world. We have speakers come in. It's more about community, I think, really. Um, you know, having some people with like-minded interests, you know, is really you know, a, a wonderful place to be. Here in southern Arizona, is it mostly about uh, raising the humidity and keeping certain temperatures from getting too extreme? Is that what it is? Yeah. Basically, orchids prefer 65 to 85. They'll tolerate mid-50s, maybe a little lower, up to about 100, but pretty much after that, you're really in a danger zone. And, of course, humidity is the big, big issue. Most of them are tropical, um, but not all, and it's uh, it's one of those things that you have to just find that right balance. And, and you, But you can do it in a greenhouse, but you can do it in your house. A lot of people grow in their bathrooms. Um, it's just a humid enough space. Um, certainly, we have enough light here, and that actually has uh, really uh, helped, I think, some of us uh, really grow some spectacular plants because we have the light input. Bob, can we say that orchids can change someone's life or at least enhance their lives significantly? Certainly. Uh, I'll, I, I tell people they, they've saved my life twice. My greenhouse and my orchids have you know, saved my life twice. Um, when my wife was sick, and uh, uh, dying of cancer, uh, it gave me a refuge uh, where I could still be in baby monitor range, but uh, I could go into another another world, really, and uh, and get away from it for for a while. Um, and more recently, I just had a triple bypass in May, and uh, part of what helped pull me through that was uh, getting back to my greenhouse. Uh, couldn't wait to get back in on water again and, and see the see what was growing. So, so it's it's changed my life. It's brought me to a, a wonderful group of people. Bob Johnson, former president of the Tucson Orchid Society and current member, thank you very much for joining us. You're very welcome. Thank you. In case you're wondering, Bob Johnson says four native orchids have been identified in southern Arizona. These terrestrial plants prefer our sky islands, higher altitudes, that provide extra moisture and deeper soil. These orchids are protected by law. To see a television story about the society and some colorful plants, you can find the link on our website at azpm.org.
But you accepted your fate. You accepted you. You chose the Jean-Luc you are. You absolved yourself. And because you choose him, perhaps he will now be worthy enough for someone else to choose. And maybe this time you will even give him the chance to be loved. I told you this was about forgiveness, Jean-Luc. Yours. That voice may sound very familiar to you. It belongs to actor John Delancey, a star of stage and screen since the late 1970s. Delancey had roles on many popular TV shows, including The Six Million Dollar Man, Emergency, and Murder, She Wrote, along with a long recurring role on Days of Our Lives before Star Trek The Next Generation made him a household name. If, of course, your household loves science fiction. As the omnipotent alien Q, John Delancey was challenged to act out many unusual scenarios as he menaced, manipulated, and mind-gamed Captain Jean-Luc Picard and crew across the galaxy. Closer to home, Delancey will be visiting Tucson September 30th through October 2nd to help launch a new season for True Concord Voices and Orchestra. I'll talk with Delancey next, and also with Wells Kaufman, Managing Director for True Concord, about the season of concerts coming up that they have named Out of This World. Helios is a piece by Tim Takash for Acapella Voices. It's a piece that uh, we'll be doing the Southwest premiere of. Tim is a terrific composer who our music director, Eric Holton, knows very well. And Tim shared the piece with Eric, and he said, great, let's do it. So it was programmed for... Uh, this coming late September, early October for True Concord. And of course, it is a solar system celebration. It's going to have these wonderful visual projections with it. And we wanted to make sure that we had some other things accompanying it that would kind of celebrate the fact that it's a solar system piece. So Eric chose the last movement of Beethoven's Ninth Symphony, which references the heavens and the stars in the Ode to Joy. We're going to do it in a very unusual way with Franz Liszt piano transcription of the fourth movement of Beethoven 9. As I was thinking about it some more, and, and almost every day, I try to figure out how I can get John Delancey back in my life and do something with him because we've had so many wonderful experiences. And so I called him up. I said, hey, we're doing this piece. Would you like to come to Tucson and do something with it? I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know if it was narration. I didn't know if it would be you know, great references from Shakespeare, for instance, because there's so many great stars and planets references in Shakespeare. We just started talking about it and had a really great dialogue and laughed a lot. And then he told me that he spent time in Tucson and liked it a lot. And he came up. Uh, with the idea, uh, which is the one we're going to do, which is great, which is a spoken prologue, and I'll let him speak more about this, but a spoken prologue that, that he's writing, where really the idea is that John will set the stage, set the mood, if you will, so people are better prepared for what the Helios experience musically is going to be like. Well, John, at this point, could you please tell us more about the creative approach you took? When I heard you were participating with Helios, I did not know that you were contributing creatively to the event. So I'm excited to hear about that. Well, I don't know if I would really call it a creative involvement. I am, in fact, introducing. And, you know, you come in as an audience member, you've parsed in yourself like that, and you're not quite sure what you're going to listen to. It takes a little bit of time. Well, I am filling that time and focusing the audience in a way 
we're going to take a journey. We're going to start all the way out of the outer reaches of our solar system. It's a little bit of a meditation. It is so unusual to hear acapella singing. It is so unusual. And I think a little preparation, and in this case, a little preparation based on the fact that, you know, this is all imaginative. Well, many who are familiar with your acting career probably have no idea, like myself, about your connection to classical music. It's, it's really in your family genealogy. So tell us a little bit about your connection to this world and why it is still important to you. Um, my father was with the Philadelphia Orchestra. He was the principal oboe player for the Philadelphia Orchestra, which meant that as a little boy, I went to the Academy of Music I countless, countless times. During rehearsals, every once in a while, I, I would turn <laughs> pages <laughs> for the men in the uh, in the woodwind uh, section, which it was a pretty high-powered uh, woodwind section, you know, that I was turning <laughs> pages for <laughs> and getting a penny a page or something like that. I also, as a kid, used to go to the concerts, the gala concerts, and you know, listen to. Uh, narration, uh, Danny Kaye. So there was a festiveness about it. I was able to invite uh, friends. I still have a, a friend who I, I'm st- I still see, and he his parents would bring him in, and, and we would meet, and you know, we'd run across the street to the automat <laughs> because my father <laughs> would, show up, would show up at least an hour and a half before the concert to practice and get his reads set. So we had a lot of time, and we, we yeah. just packed around. Yeah. And uh, the man backstage, the crew, uh, they, they knew me well. And uh, so I, I have a good feeling about all that. I have to ask, though, I mean, not to date anyone, John, but you're old enough to be part of the Beatles generation. Did you ever rebel a little bit from the family tradition and uh, find yourself listening to the other kind of long hair music? <laughs> I remember my parents went off to a concert and I ran upstairs and I put on my record player. Um, I ain't nothing but a hound dog and I and I was lip syncing to like nothing but a hound dog. Um, when I went to college, uh, I, I walked in to meet my roommate, and he, you know, within moments, he said, do you like music? And I said, oh, yes, of course. <laughs> he put on Jimi Hendrix. I had never heard anything like that. But then I put on Shostakovich, and he had never heard anything like that. And the two of us began to swap back and forth. So it was great fun. So there was a meeting of the minds. A meeting of the minds. Fantastic. John, when you look back at the era when you were regularly playing Q on television and you were being embraced by the Star Trek fans, what's a fond memory you have of that era? What's something that you look back on today and it still makes you smile? There is one thing that took place. I think about it all the time. I had been doing a show and I was in Japan and I came back, started shooting uh, Trek on, uh, on Monday morning. And about Two days later, back then, um, there would be dailies, and um, the producers would see um, what it was that had been shot. So I'm standing there in the soundstage, and the voice behind me says, you have no idea what you've gotten yourself into. And I turn around, and it was Gene Roddenberry. And I said, Gene, what are you talking about? What do you mean? And he goes, oh, you will find out. Now, at the time, I thought he was simply being complimentary. It was a way of him saying, you know, we like what you're doing, which, in fact, they did. But I have 
fought about that over and over and over again. And we have, as actors, those of us who see each other at, at conventions, we say, you know, we are so, so lucky. We fell, most of us simply fell into this world uh, or as backed our way into this world. And <laughs> we had no idea what we were getting into, and it continues to reveal itself. Now, as you prepare to come to Tucson and take part in this Helios concert, how has your perspective been affected by playing Q as you look at the solar system? I start my morning looking at the science section first. I just love that feeling of wonder where you go, oh, my God, look at that. Just look at what they discovered. And look, oh, this is new. And it could be in medicine or archaeology this morning. They just found some kind of the Gaza Strip. And then, of course, now the web telescope and stuff like that. So I feel that I am a – I vibrate at that level. And so it is going to be an evening of wonderment. There will be wondrous music that you will hear. And then, well, I turn it over to you, to. to... <laughs> well, these are the opening weekend, 19th season for True Concord Voices and Orchestra. And it's, it's really going to be an event. The pieces that we put together, we're hoping um, will be enticing um, and make for a, a really great evening. We're in Green Valley on Friday night, and Tucson on, on Saturday and Sunday. One of the things we're doing, on Saturday night, after the performance, we're going to do what they often do in, in straight theater, right, which is a talk back with the creative team. So that'll be John. It'll be Eric Holton, our music director. It'll be Tim Takach, the composer of Helios. And uh, just yesterday, I um, was able to engage uh, Kevin Hainline, who is one of the Webb Telescope designer scientists from the University of Arizona. So he's going to join us, going to be at the performance. And um, it's free to the audience, so people just going to hang around a little bit, five minutes, while we put some chairs and mics out on the stage, and a little Q&A, a little bit of discussion. I think it's going to be really enjoyable and, and really invigorating. On that same night, very generously, John, at 6 p.m., the concert's at 7.30, at 6 p.m. in the lobby at Catalina Foothills High School, which is where the performance is that night and on Sunday. Um, we'll be doing autographs and selfies, and people will make a donation to True Concord with a nonprofit. And John is is not going to take any any remuneration for this at all. The first 50 people that sign up will be able to spend a little time with him, take a selfie, get an autograph. We're at Green Valley Valley Presbyterian Church, seven o'clock on September 30, October 1, Catalina Foothills High School, 7:30, and then again Catalina Foothills High School Sunday, October 2 at 3 p.m. Thank you to John Delancey and Wells Kaufman. You can find all the details for the upcoming True Concord Voices and Orchestra events at trueconcord.org. Thank you for listening to Arizona Spotlight. This show originates from the AZPM Radio Studios. AZPM's news director is Christopher Conover. The music is by Calexico. The production engineer is Jim Blackwood. Production assistance by Leah Britton. I'm producer and host, Mark McLemore. Thank you to Broadway in Tucson for their support of Arizona Spotlight.